Welcome to It Is Written Canada. Thank you for joining us in beautiful Kelowna, British Columbia. Our special guest again is Don Straub, a practicing clinical counselor who helps people struggling with everyday problems by giving them powerful, practical solutions. Don is going to look at healthy and unhealthy ways of expressing anger. And he's also going to examine the question, are we in the hands of an angry God? Don, welcome back to It Is Written Canada. Thank you, I'm pleased to be able to share with you today. Don, we're gonna be talking about anger. Do a lot of your clients come to you with anger issues? Actually, I get a lot of clients that come because they don't know how to manage their anger. It seems to be out of control. But I get a lot of other clients that come for other reasons, like depression, anxiety, and even couples who come for counseling. But after we get into the counseling process, many of them discover that anger is probably the root or cause of these other symptoms, we could call it. So you're saying that anger is the source. Don't people know that they're angry? Well, there's some that do, but, and they're too ashamed to admit it. They don't like to, to talk about their anger. But there's others that I believe they don't even know they're angry. Have you ever heard someone go, I'm not angry? You see, some of us pretend we're not angry, we suppress it, we're not mindful of this anger. And then there are others that don't have the typical fireworks kind of anger, you know, like just bang, you know, yelling, screaming anger. There are people who hold their anger in, they stuff it, they keep it hidden. Some of those people can hold that anger in for years. And then there's others that, you know, like you shake a can of pop and explodes so they'll, they'll stuff it and then they'll explode with their anger and then stuff it some more and then explode. And usually they explode it on innocent people that haven't really done much, you know, to hurt them. You know, I, I've had an experience where it, it really opened my eyes to the power of the anger that I have, the potential that I have within me. Don, are you willing to share that? Sure, I would. Uh, I had asked one of my son's teachers to let me know if my son was struggling in math. And one day he came home with uh, his report card and there was an F on his report card. And I became angry. But I didn't want my son to see me angry, so I stuffed my anger and I went on with the rest of the evening. Then I realized it was a little late for a church meeting that I was the platform chairman for. So I dashed out to the garage, got in my car, looked in my rear view mirror and I just shoved it in reverse and backed out as fast as I could. And I bang, I looked to my left and I had bent my car door backwards as it struck the garage door. You left it open. I left it open. And that's when I become aware of the fact that anger is like being drunk. And then later when I did my studying in counseling, I began to realize that 
when we're angry, our heart rate's up, we're flooded, we don't see everything, we don't hear everything, and we're certainly not thinking logically or rationally in those moments. So Don, you have titled what you're sharing with us right now, In the Hands of an Angry God. Is God really an angry God? I don't believe he is in the sense that he's constantly enraged or something like that. The thing about scripture is there are 44 verses that tell us that God has this emotion of anger. And I'm going to talk about why that is in a bit. But the reason I titled this uh, talk with In the Hands of an Angry God is because it comes from the title of a sermon by Pastor Jonathan Edwards back in 1741. Apparently, this sermon started a revival around the world. But I have to agree with uh, Brian Zond, who said that, regrettably, this sermon has forever misshaped the image of God by, by Christians around the world. I want to share with you one paragraph from this famous sermon. He says, The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You are ten thousand times so abominable in his eyes as the most hateful venomous serpent is an hour. Wow. So how do you reconcile that with what the scriptures teach about God being love? I can't. When I think of being a father, like how can any kind of a God take pleasure torturing his children like this? How can, how can any father even think of his children like this? I mean, I'm the father of four, the grandfather of 12. There's no way I picture any of my children or grandchildren like this. It does not make sense. So, Don, what is anger? Isn't it an emotion? That's all anger is. It's simply an emotion. The thing about emotions is that all the emotions, except for shame, which I'll talk about later, have a purpose. Every emotion can be thought of as an action signal. It's a signal to take some kind of action. Anger is an action signal to protect yourself and the people you love from injustice. Whenever there's an injustice, such as let's say I see racism happening, if I don't have the emotion of anger when I see that injustice, in counseling we would call that sociopathic or psychopathic because I have no feelings of injustice. So it's appropriate to be angry when there's injustice. And then I have to think, no wonder God gets angry. No wonder there are 44 verses that say God has the emotion of anger. I mean, who but God sees so much injustice going on in this world? See, it's not about the anger. It's how we express that anger that really counts. So Don, are you saying that there are different ways in which we can express this anger? 
Yes. So can you explain what that looks like? There are actually four ways of expressing anger. Three of them are very unhealthy, usually, and inappropriate usually, and one very healthy, almost always appropriate. Uh, let's talk about passive anger, an unhealthy expression of anger generally. Passive anger is when you stuff it, you hold it in, you hold it down, and you kind of pretend you're not angry. People who express anger passively, they're not really respecting themselves. They're just respecting everybody else because they're not willing to speak up for themselves, to protect themselves, to set a boundary to protect themselves. Let's take aggressive anger. That's kind of the one we're familiar with, right? The fireworks, the loud. The aggressive anger doesn't respect other people, only the person who's expressing it. The, the, the aggressive, angry person wants to have control. They want to control others. They want to intimidate them. Then there's this insidious combination of the two called passive-aggressive expressions of anger. Kind of a combination of the worst parts of both of those. And the thing about passive-aggressive anger is it can be couched or hidden. Like it can be hidden as humor. I was only joking. Or sarcasm. They think they're funny by being sarcastic, but it's really cutting. Or gossip. Gossip is really a passive-aggressive because you're not willing to express your anger to the person you're angry at, but you'll talk about them behind their back. Or, or some kind of anonymous forms of anger all come under the heading of passive-aggressive anger. So, Don, what is the healthy, appropriate way of expressing your anger then? There is a, an appropriate way, and we call it assertiveness. Now, a lot of people are afraid of that word because they think assertiveness is like an aggressive kind of anger, but it's not at all. Assertiveness is not a way to get your own way. An assertive person really believes that they're only in charge of their own behavior and that others are in charge of their behavior. So the assertive person respects themselves and others equally. The assertive person is willing to to put boundaries on themselves, to protect themselves from being harmed, but they're willing to speak their truth. But when they do speak their truth, they speak it respectfully and they respect other people's opinions as well. So can it really be that simple? Just be assertive all the time. It's not simple to tell you the truth. It's not simple. And I have, I, I'm being very sort of short here. My book goes into great detail about all of these four types of expressions of anger. But just to say a little bit about that, you see, sometimes it's appropriate to be passive. If someone really has a gun to your head and says, hand me your wallet, be passive, give them your wallet. This is not a time for an assertive conversation. And you know that police sometimes have to become aggressive to take down dangerous people to protect us. So it's not always that easy. The other problem is this. Assertiveness is a skill to be learned and practiced. And they're not teaching this in schools, unfortunately. So most of us don't know much about how to be assertive. I do workshops on assertiveness skill. But you can learn all the skills, how to say the right words, when to say them, etc., etc. But there's another problem. As we talked about in prior episodes, we get flooded, we get triggered, we get into this fight, flight, or freeze in an instant, and our heart rates go up, 
we're flooded, we don't see everything, we don't hear everything, we're not thinking rationally, and our emotions take over, and we become flooded, aggressive, passive-aggressive, or even passive. Fight, flight, or freeze is really what those, those three are. So, Don, can you tell us more about how this works? Sure. I, I developed uh, the iceberg model because the iceberg, as you probably know, we only see 10 to 15 percent of an iceberg. 85 or 90 percent of the iceberg is below the surface. What we see is what we call it the tip of the iceberg, and these are our behaviors. We see people behave in certain ways. Self-defeating behaviors, what the Bible calls sin, are things like your addictions, uh, fighting, fight, flight, and freeze often are, are self-defeating behaviors, whereas life-enhancing behaviors are loving actions, caring, honoring, respecting. But behind or below the surface of self-defeating behaviors is the emotion of anger. Now, it's just below the surface. We can't see anger because it's an emotion. We only see how it's expressed in our behaviors. But anger is really a secondary emotion most of the time, which means there are primary emotion or emotions behind the anger. Fear, sadness, guilt. Shame is the big one. Shame is an emotion that often affects how the anger comes out, how it's expressed. Now, I could have put the word guilt here as well as the word shame, because the Bible really doesn't differentiate between these, these two words, guilt and shame. Uh, they feel the same. They feel identical. So it's really a matter of definitions here, because guilt is when I've done something to hurt somebody. It's an action. It's a behavior. I do something, so I feel guilt. However, shame is false guilt. I haven't done anything wrong, but I feel guilty. So you can see that would serve no purpose. Remember I said shame is the one emotion that serves no purpose. Why would false guilt serve any purpose? But shame is that big culprit. Because shame isn't about what I have done. Shame is about a belief of who I am. And so we go back to those negative beliefs, those untruthful lies that we come to believe, like I'm not important, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm stupid, I'm ugly. All of these beliefs, these negative beliefs, actually create the emotion of shame. If you want to define shame, it's basically a, a very painful emotion or experience that we get when we believe we're not good enough or we're flawed and we don't belong. But the thing about these negative beliefs is they come from some kind of experience that we've had in the past. We call them core wounds. Remember Johnny? When his dad yelled at him and told him these, these scary things that Johnny was so hurt by? And Johnny had this core wound from his father and he started to believe he was stupid, that he was not a good person. And when those beliefs come up in our minds, they create the emotion of shame. And anger is actually an anesthetic to pain. An anesthetic to pain. And shame is actually a pain. And the unconscious brain does not differentiate between physical pain and emotional pain. I mean, our logical brains do, but the unconscious brain reacts from this emotion of pain with this emotion of anger because it's just like we touched a hot stove 
we immediately go to anger. And when there's shame behind the anger, that anger comes out in these self-defeating methods or expressions. So where does sadness and fear and guilt come into the iceberg model? So what we need to know here is that our society has sort of programmed us, especially men, for a man to feel sad is shaming. It's, a, it's like, I'm, not, I'm weak, I'm not good enough. For a man to feel afraid creates shame. I'm not strong enough, I should be a man. Real men don't get afraid, you see? And so when we, we can go from sadness immediately to shame and then to anger. So Don, let me see if I understand the definitions between shame and guilt and how they differ. So guilt, so what you're saying really is that guilt is how you're feeling, like you're guilty because you've done something bad, but shame is a label. You are bad. I am bad. I'm not a good person. Exactly. And the reason it's important to get this difference is because we have to treat each of these differently. So as a counselor, I need to help my, my clients. If they're actually feeling true guilt, this is where they need to forgive. They need to apologize, make amends, because this is how we heal guilt. But you can't treat false guilt that way. You, you have to treat it differently. Remember, shame is false guilt. It's based on labels, who I believe I am, and those are lies. That is where we have to tell ourselves the truth. That's how we treat shame. We recognize that I'm believing a lie right now. I need to say the truth about myself. I am important. I do matter. I am worthy. I'm a child of God. So this is, like you said, really treated differently in your counseling. So how has this helped and how do you treat this as a counselor? Actually, it's very much more complicated than even how I've expressed it. But that's one of the things I do, that type of therapy, right? I use forgiveness therapy as a way of letting go. And I'm going to talk about that in depth in a future episode. And I use cognitive behavioral therapy to address the shame. But you see, besides this, this core wound, we get this core wound, right, from somebody. And sometimes, in fact, most often, a core wound is traumatizing. And we get different levels of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, from some of the wounds that people have caused us. And so as a counselor, I have to treat the root of this shame, the root of the negative belief. And that's generally some kind of trauma. And I have special therapies that I've been trained in as a trauma counselor to help people get free of the pain of that trauma. It's another layer even below that needs to be treated so they don't get triggered. And you've talked about a lot of that in your book and, and how, how effective that is. So before we close, can we talk about God's anger? Right, we need to come back to that. So we know that God has anger, but you could also see right now that surely God does not feel shame or guilt or fear. These aren't the things that are below God's anger. So God has the ability to express anger appropriately. 
assertively, if you will. And really, what does God do with his anger? He forgives. Let me share something with you. This is the heart of God. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father has told me. Jonathan Edwards talked as if God was our worst enemy. But God says, I want to be your friends. Not just your father, but your friend. So this is so important to understand the character of God. The truth is, God loves us. And God's love is a sacrificial love. A love that will never let us go. So we know that God is love, and we know that God has chosen to run his universe on this principle of love and freedom, because without freedom, there can be no love. And we know that God has the emotion of anger. And what I found in the book of Romans, chapter 1, is kind of a series of verses that really shows us how God prefers to show his anger, to express his anger. And it starts with this. It says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people 
who push the truth away from themselves. And then there are verses that tell how he shows it. It goes on like this. So God let them go ahead and do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Another verse. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. And a third one. When they refused to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their evil minds and let them do things that should never be done. That is a God of freedom because God knows you can't force people to love him. Love must only come when you have freedom, the choice to choose. Jesus showed us what it means to love when he said, Father, forgive these people. They do not know what they're doing. He said those words when they were nailing him to a cross. These are the words of a loving God, a God that wants to be our friend. He wants to reconcile with us. See, we're not talking about an angry father torturing his son for our sins. Never. Listen, it says, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. This is the wonderful message he's given to us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors, and God is using us to speak to you. We urge you, as though Christ himself were here pleading with you, be reconciled to God. That's the God who wants to be our friends. Is God an angry God? No, a thousand times no. We are in the hands of a loving God. Don, thank you so much for that beautiful picture that you have painted of God's love and Him wanting to be our friend because He loves us so much and cares for us so much. Before we end, I wonder if you could please pray for us. For sure. Father God, you have revealed your character through your Son, Jesus Christ who came and lived on this earth as a man and yet as God. Thank you for this offer of friendship that you've extended to us. I just pray for all those listening would reach out and take your hand and choose this friendship. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, amen. Don, thank you so much for presenting such a beautiful picture of God. Next time we're going to be talking about how to deal with deep hurt. Mm -hmm. Friends, as Don Straub shared with us, God is not only a God of love, but a God of freedom. And we want to give you a chance to learn more about this freedom by sending you our free offer today, which is Don Straub's book entitled Bridges to Freedom, Creating Change Through Science and Christian Spirituality. So you can move closer to the Lord, get past your mistakes, and learn life lessons with the essential bridges to freedom described in this book. 
We want you to experience the truth that is found in the words of Jesus when he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to watch a video of this podcast, please visit iiw.ca or you can go to our IIW Canada YouTube channel and click on the videos tab. Once again, thank you so much for listening.